How do we answer the person who claims that the God of the Bible is violent and destructive? How do we tell people that God values human life when God himself records his judging actions to take human life? Today we'll begin to consider the answer to these questions. Welcome to the Ministry of the Bread of Life. I'm Joel Van Hoogen. This is a program of the International Ministry Church Partnership Evangelism and its mission fellowship, The Bread of Life, in Boise, Idaho. You can learn more about our work by going to traincpe.org or breadoflifeboise.org. Let me invite you now to take your Bibles and turn to 2 Kings chapter 1. There we're confronted with a story that those calling God a destroyer of human life could use as their proof text. Have you ever had somebody say that they couldn't believe in the God of the Bible because he was too violent and destructive? I've had individuals say that to me on more than one occasion, rejecting that God. How would you go about answering that question? Especially, how would you go about answering that question after reading a passage like this, in which you see the violence of God and the destruction of God falling upon these 50 individuals? Well, let's look at the passage and let's think about what God would teach us in this for ourselves, we who believe in him and who trust in him and know him. And let's first learn that lesson ourselves about who God is. And then out of that, let's begin to think about how we might communicate that to others. The one thing we can't do is patronize people who say that or agree with them in such a way and concede things that God would not allow us to concede. We still have to speak for who God is and address the questions that they have at the same time. But it's an honest question. Ahaziah is the heir of Ahab's throne, and he's had a bad accident. And he sends messengers to the northernmost capital city of the Philistines, Ekron. And he's probably been suggested to send to this place to inquire by his mother, Jezebel. There to inquire of a god named Baalzebub, which means the god over flies, or the fly god. This is one of the expressions of the Baal god that was worshipped by the Philistine people and the people that were along the coast of what is now Israel, uh, the same area, and actually among the same group of people that Jezebel was from originally. Her father was one of the high priests and king in Sidon. And so if you remember, Elijah squared off against the prophets of Baal and Mount Carmel not too long ago, and at that point in time, there's been a great returning of the people back to God because Elijah set out an altar before the people on Mount Carmel, and there on the mount he had established a sacrifice for the people, and he reminded the people of God's covenant with them and that they had broken that covenant, and yet instead of God bringing judgment upon them, he called upon God to express his power and bring judgment and bring his fire down upon the sacrifice that he put on that altar, and fire fell at Elijah's prayer and at Elijah's call, The people began to cry out at that moment in a great expression of revival and turning back to God. The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And right after that, Elijah, under the power of the Holy Spirit, put to death 450 prophets of Baal, along with all the worship they led him, with all their prostitution cults and all the perversities of their cult, slayed them all. And so there are no prophets or there are no priests of Baal in which to inquire of. And as a result... Now that Ahaziah is in the situation and under the advice, I'm sure, of his mother Jezebel, he sent messengers off to Ekron to inquire of Baal-zebub, the fly god, to find out whether he's going to rise from his bed or not. God knows what is taking place. God wakens and calls Elijah to go and intercept the messengers that are being sent to Ekron and the messengers that have been sent to inquire of Baal-zebub and the priest of Baal-zebub. Elijah goes and meets those messengers and gives them this word that he's received from God. And basically it's this. Ahaziah will not get better. 
he will die on his bed. But this is not because of his initial injury. It's because he went after the wrong God. The authority that Elijah expresses when he encounters these messengers is so powerful and so convicting, they don't press on in their journey. These emissaries don't continue on to Ekron, but they turn around and go back to the king. And when they return to the king, the king is understandably perturbed. They've not followed his counsel or his advice. They give the king the word that has come from Elijah, and he asks for a description of this one who spoke this word to them because they didn't recognize Elijah, but the king does. It's Elijah the Tishbite, that individual who had been a source of trouble for my father is a source of trouble for me. And you can imagine with what disdain and with what sense of demand he calls out for one of his captains to go up and bring Elijah down to him. So one of the captains is sent out to where Elijah is. It's likely that Elijah is near Samaria at that time, like Lamb Mount Carmel, where this is all taking place, the high region in that area, because he's upon a hill. They know where to go. They find him. The captain walks up to where Elijah is and says, Man of God, the king says, come down. Elijah responds, and his response is almost contemplative. Well, if I'm a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and destroy you and your 50. And crack! Lightning falls, and they're all destroyed in a moment. The king sends out another captain. The next captain goes out keener than the first. He's going to embellish what the king says. Not only does the king say, come down, but the king says, come down quickly. Well... I'm a man of God, crack, fire falls again, lightning falls again, and they're destroyed. A third one is dispensed. He's learned his lesson. He's made an observation. The first time it happened, it could have been a weird coincidence. Happens twice. It's not a weird coincidence. He comes before Elijah. He falls on his knees before Elijah. He pleads for his life. He says, may God find my life precious. May God find the life of these 50 precious in his sight. He cries out for mercy, and he's delivered. Elijah then goes down before the king with this individual and delivers to the king the very message, word for word, that he delivered to the messengers. The king will die in his bed, not because of the accident, but because he sought the wrong God and not the God of Israel. There's our story. Now, what does this tell us about God and what God is like and how we're to approach God and understand God? At the very beginning here, just begin by seeing this that life and death is in God's hands. Life and death is in God's hands. No life arbitrarily enters into this world and no life arbitrarily exits it. Your birth and your death are God's domain. A God who can send fire at a word on 50 men and take them out in a moment, in a flash, is no less in control over your life and over your end. It may happen in your sleep, It may happen after a long life. It may happen at the hands of an inattentive driver. It may happen through a visiting virus. You can be the victim of some evil act, yet not one of these events will escape the hand of God. God is certainly not safe. He acts in overpowering judgment and power on those who forsake him. Life and death are in his hands. Let's just start there. Let's start there. And from there, let's make three observations from this story. And the first observation is this. Three, grace before judgment, then judgment, and then mercy in the midst of judgment. Remember that. Grace before judgment, then judgment, 
then mercy in the midst of judgment. And we could add a fourth, grace after judgment. Grace after judgment. But let's look at these first three here. Grace before judgment. That'll be our first point. Elijah's ministry has gone on for quite some time before this event takes place. The messengers didn't recognize who he was, but the king did. And the captains knew where to find him. He was well known in the land. Through him, a drought had come upon that land by his own word, declaring the word of God before the people. Through him, a great revival had come among the people at Mount Carmel, where he had squared off against the prophets of Baal. It was there that he built that altar, there that he laid out the reminder of God of the covenant, there that he laid out the sacrifice for the sins of the people, there that he called upon God to receive that sacrifice, there that fire fell from God and fell upon the altar and the sacrifice, instead of on the people who had rebelled against God, instead of them who had turned from God to worship the Baalim. And in that moment, God was presenting to the people through the ministry of Elijah his way and his provision of escape from their sins. A sacrifice had to be made for them for their sins. And that this God and this God alone had the power to receive such a sacrifice and forgive them of their sins. In that moment, the people in one voice cry out, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. And if you remember, before that happened, Elijah had met with Ahab, the king, and said, send all of Israel up to the mount. And so there was an assembly there representing all of the nation of Israel there on the mount when this, thing, this event took place. Many at that moment gave out a cry of repentance and confession. They had worshipped the false god and rebelled against the true god. It was there that the priests of Baal were all slain. And it was on that same day after the people had made this confession and repented that Elijah sought God and prayed that God would bring an end to the drought and rain began to pour out from the heavens, bringing a dramatic deluge upon the land, ending three years of drought and we can go on from there and speak of all the ministries that Elijah had. From there, Elijah begins to train other prophets and establish schools of the prophets who will rise up, by the way, and will give prophecies of the victory for the nation of Israel over the Syrian kings. Prophets who will prophesy to Ahab because Ahab is proud and exalting himself. And he will himself, Elijah will come and confront Ahab in his own sin and Ahab will repent. And now he has come to speak to Ahaziah. And during this time, Elijah is also working to minister to a nation that is turning back to him from the Baalim and he's instructing them and teaching him in the way of God and the word of God and Elijah has been busy and Elijah is well known and his ministry is continuing as he calls people back to God. Ahaziah and those two captains and the soldiers too would have known of the mighty deeds that God had done through Elijah. These were not tricks. These were not feats of magic. They were done so that the people in Israel would know that there was a God in Israel. They were acts of grace where God was revealing himself to them and calling them to himself. Even Elijah's prophecies of judgment and his acts of judgment were gracious warnings. They were opportunities for the people to stop in the progression away from God and turn back to him. God was making himself known. He was revealing himself to them powerfully and basically God was saying, depart from me and your life will be go into famine and destruction. Return to me, and I'll rain blessings out upon you. Because I'm at the center of all blessing. It was all grace. It was God calling. It was God directing the people unto him as the life giver and the life sustainer. And Elijah was God's grace to the nation of Israel, expressing God's grace. Every person on the face of the earth experiences the common graces of God today. We live in a time of grace. 
We experience blessings from God, provisions from God. We experience joy and love that God allows us to encounter. We have instincts for purpose and meaning. God in grace has given us a conscience. God has given all men a sense of absolute moral resolves and a universal awareness of right and wrong. On and on we could go to show how God has graciously revealed himself through creation, how God has blessed his creation and provided it in manifold ways to enjoy this life and develop delights in this world and find meaning and purpose in this life. God has also graciously restrained the worst capabilities of his rebellious creation man. We're not yet experiencing all the destruction that we can bring upon this world and one another in our turn from God. See that? God has revealed himself in all that he's created. God has poured out his blessings on all of creation. God has restrained the worst in his rebellious creation. God has been gracious to everyone and is being gracious to everyone. This is the age of grace. This is the age of grace right now. And God is providing it. Here's the second thing you have to see. At the end of grace, there is judgment. At the end of grace, there is judgment. Well, thank you for listening to the Ministry of the Bread of Life. To learn more about our ministry, let me suggest you go to one of two websites. First, go to traincpe.org, traincpe.org, to learn more about the work we're doing all over the world to equip and engage the body of Christ in personal evangelism, discipleship, and church planting. Or to learn about our work in your community, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, God bless you.